Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Investor Lab, the auditory epicenter for passionate people seeking a life of freedom, choice, and abundance. And on today's show, I spoke with a guy who's got a very challenging last name, but a very amazing story, Jeremy Yarnazelli from Keshab Chartered Accountants. We talked about all kinds of stuff. We talked about what it takes to be a successful property investor, how to crack through the glass ceiling that gets most people stuck at like two properties. And we talked about Jeremy's journey uh, in, in business, in property, all kinds of stuff. We covered a lot of ground. There are so many actionable insights in this podcast. It's just gold. Like just raking through this, it would be hard. It's hard to actually identify specifically like what are the key moments because they were pretty much nonstop. If you want to know what it takes to be a successful property investor, to be able to you know, operate through multiple cycles and achieve everything that you want in life and in business, then this episode is for you. So without any further ado, let's get stuck right into it. I can't wait to share this with you. And if you've got any feedback or if you've got any questions you want to submit to the show, just send them to til at dashdot.com.au. That's til at dashdot.com.au. I look forward to speaking to you soon. See you on the inside. Hey guys, welcome back to the Investor Lab. Joining me today on the show is Jeremy Yanazelli. He is one of the partners at Keshab Chartered Accountants. He's a property tax expert and also a very successful property investor as well. So I'm super excited to have you on the show, Jeremy. Welcome. How are you? Thank you. Good. Very well, Goose. Very well. Yourself, mate? Yeah, mate. Awesome. I'm stoked to have you here. Um, obviously, we've been doing a little bit of work together. Um, and you've got a very interesting and kind of storied background in property and you're probably one of the more, or probably the most knowledgeable person that I've found when it comes specifically to like the tax side of property, which is where a lot of people get really confused, right? And because, and to be to be completely transparent, I tend to find most accountants don't really understand property. They can kind of like sort of kind of understand property. So it's kind of rare to see someone in the industry who, who really gets it and has walked the path. But Jeremy, I'd love to um start with a bit of a background though, like just for the people who don't know who you are. Why don't you give us a little bit of a background? You know, who are you? What do you do? Kind of what's 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 a bit of your story? So, mate, we are, look, I've been in the industry now for 15 years as an yep. accountant. I uh, loved every day of it. Still wake up with a passion to be an accountant and to assist clients and 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 to invest as well. I've been in invest I've been investing for the better part of over 13 years as well. So my first property came uh, just on or just prior to GFC. So I got to see uh, a very different side of property investment when things kind of stagnated for some time before they really blew up as interest rates started to come down, lending became a lot softer and easier and, and property became obviously a much easier way to generate wealth a lot quicker and a lot safer post-GFC as well. Um, I've, you know, grew up in the western suburbs of Sydney, humble parents, father was an accountant and has been an accountant for over 45 years. So it was one of those things where I was bookkeeping at at the early age and running debits and credits at the age of 13, 14. So it was quite a natural um, transition for me to be an accountant. Um, Can I just ask about that though? Like, you know, not that many people profess to have a passion for it. I know quite a few accountants like having a passion for it and bookkeeping at an early age and all that kind of stuff. What what kind of attracted you to to the accounting side of things? It's the knowledge of business and and being a, a sophisticated business owner, successful business owner is not actually being able to sell your product well, but it's actually been able to understand the metrics mm. of how your business works. Because you could have the best product in the world 
but if you're selling it for $5 and it's costing you 10, yeah. well, you're not going to have a very successful business. Mm. So un- unfortunately, you know, that's where a lot of people fail. And that's what drew me to accounting to, to really being able to understand where numbers are, how they work. Yes, there's tax obviously and compliance that comes with it, but mm. it's that business side of it, which really intrigued me and still intrigues me today. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's awesome. I, I actually couldn't agree more. Like from my own kind of personal story, I've sort of been in business loosely. I'll say loosely because I've been sort of been in business for since I've left school at seventeen. Um, but I never really understood the number side of it. Like you know, chart of accounts. How does it? I was just like, I don't know. The money goes into bank account. We spend it. Is there money in the bank? Great. That means we're doing something good. You know, it was really had no idea. And it was only actually fairly recently. You know, in the last couple of years where I started going, okay, well, how does this work? Like how does, and accounting is the language of business. And if you can understand the language of business, that allows you to make better decisions. So all the decisions we make now are, are, you know, are driven by understanding all of those, all of those numbers. And it's really interesting as well, because that translates obviously to property because, you know, successful property investors also think about their portfolio like a business, right? And so if you can understand the language of business, you're going to be able to understand your property portfolio as well. And, you know, I think that's awesome. Okay, that's yeah. cool, man. A hundred percent, yeah. Awesome. So, um, so you bought your first property at, uh, uh, th- you bought your first property thirteen years ago. Yep. And you've still got a, you still got a passion for accounting. But could, what is your kind of like? Tell us a little bit about your property journey. So, my property journey uh, started. I had some really good mentors at an early age. Uh, mm. My mentor, which is my business partner and been so for many years, he was a property investor himself, and. You know, all the odds were stacked against him. He was an immigrant, never should have been successful, never should have had a property portfolio and defied the odds. So that gave me a lot of confidence to to get into the property market quite early um, and been investing ever since. My portfolio started off as just your, your typical, you know, humble three-bedroom house and a 560-square-metre block of land in your, you know, the suburbs close to home. And that's how I kind of started. I like to wanted to get on the ground and get a feel for what I was buying initially. Mm. Um, And then progressively from there, started to get a little bit more adventurous um, and also started to look at properties, which I call with that twist or X factor, Um, you know, things where I can add value where it has been, for instance, a granny flat, or it could be a subdividable property duplex or other things that I'm doing now, one into threes, townhouses, boutique Mm. developments. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That's a little, I suppose a little bit about it, the journey about, where we started and where we progressed. Um, and, and for me, it was always, the plan was always to, to have my own home fully paid off. Um, and, that, and I hear that from a lot of investors. You know, one of the goals that they say is, Jeremy, we're doing this to create a passive income and also uh, to pay our own home off. So that was one of my biggest goals and one of my things that I achieved late last year. Um, awesome. As a property portfolio grew substantially, it was... Saw some really good equi- equitable gains um, yep. and against everybody in my body, um, made a decision to sell quite a number of properties, about seven in total. Wow. Um, in, in one year. Um, and that gave me the ability to pay my home off and also just replace a couple of the older properties, which had some contingent repairs that were definitely due to be done, quite expensive. Yeah. And, and buy just a couple, I would say, better grade properties. Yeah, interesting. So you said against uh, against every bone in your body, you decided to sell. That's really interesting because uh, obviously, obviously, you've repurposed the capital and bought a couple more investment properties as well. But from a capital allocation perspective, 
paying down your home is cool, but it's obviously it's an emotional need and everything like that. Hundred percent emotional. Yeah. So how do you how do you as a numbers guy how do you rationalize that? Because not that I, I'm not I'm not disagreeing with you that it's so I I think that it's totally cool for people to have um, like in property investing is emotional because whatever you're aiming for is emotional. Like you want more time, you want more freedom, you want more money, you want to live a better life, you want to help more people, you want to do all that kind of stuff. It's freaking emotional, no matter how you think about it, right? But Trying to decide, like, okay, am I going to decide between, you know, continuously exponential wealth creation versus taking some money off the table to serve that that need and that that you know, that was your goal, right? So now you've kind of hit your goal. How do you rationalize those two things? It's it's it, again, as I said, against every bone in my body. I I completely understood the reduction of the capital cost base that I was getting rid of. And understand obviously the philosophy of compounding returns. So mm. to let go of of you know seven properties, for instance, where there was an acquisition cost base or value cost base of probably in excess of over two million, two and a half million. If that moves at say ten percent, that's a two hundred fifty thousand dollar gain in one year. Yeah. So I, uh, I it was trust me, was a very hard decision to make. Very why, hard. Why Why didn't you? Why didn't you just um, incrementally take? capital off the table or incrementally kind of funnel more cash flow or why yeah, did you good, i'm good super question. interested in this very good question very good question and and for me it was always one of those things with a business plan i i we, we should always alter our business plan alter it with the times yeah. um but for us it was and for me it was an emotional decision i said that when i started this I set out that I wanted to have my own uh, my own home completely paid off and put that in the bank. So whatever happens in life, I've got that property unencumbered, title in my pocket in the bank. Now it, it, you talk to you know many different people from all walks of life, and some people argue and say, well, during these low interest rate environments, this is a great opportunity to pay down as much debt as you can. You'll never get this in your life again. And then you look at the other side of the equation, the, the optimistic side, and I believe that I'm probably more on that side than the pessimist side, is that during this period of extremely low interest rates, you're never going to get this opportunity again to acquire more debt at such a cheap cost. Totally. And the and, hurdle rate is so low, right? If you think about like the capital return of like paying down some debt on, let's say, 3% interest, you don't have to work very hard to jump a 3% hurdle rate, right? Absolutely so, not. So it was... I would say that given the, the times that we're in, would I be recommending, say, one of my clients to do that? The probably answer would be no. <laughs> it's a, probably not because, you know, with that amount of capital, you know, it could have redrawn the equity out. I could have put that into to any asset and achieved a 5 or 6%, say, say for instance, net yield. Yeah. So I, I definitely don't recommend doing what I did, especially in times of um, – of low interest rate environments. But again, for me, it was a goal. It was a very hard stand goal. Um, and I'm a big person where I need to tick things off, um, but very much an emotional decision. We just had a child as well. Um, so I thought, you know what, that level of security is is good. Um, I'll keep that. But at the same time, I did recycle some of that, uh, that after-tax profit and bought a couple other good properties. So I got the best of both worlds, I think. I tried okay. to rationalize it in my own mind that I've got the best of both worlds. Um, but the reality is I probably could have kept all seven, still had a home loan. It's not all about making money though, is it? It's it's not, definitely not, definitely not. But, um, you know, it's all about opportunity. Yeah. I think that if you leave opportunity on the table sometimes, that's probably the worst worst crime you can possibly commit. 
you know, not opening that door and giving it your shot. So it was an okay. emotional decision against every bone in my body. I've, I've done it, um, but rationalized it with a it's couple awesome. of purchases. So you set out with a goal, right? So you set out with a goal and your goal, when you, your, your investing goal was to build a property portfolio that would ultimately allow you to own your own home outright. That was the thesis, right? That was correct. Okay. That was my, one of my first goals that I ever wrote Perfect. down. Perfect. That's awesome. Even passive income. Great. So you've hit that goal, right? How do you feel? How do you feel? Like, because you've, as you said, you've you've done the security thing now. Like, you've got the home. It's paid out, right? You've basically hit save. It's kind of like mm-hmm. the world could burn, the business could fail, the rest of the properties could all get washed away and stuff. But you've got that now. You've hit save, right? Yeah. So what I'm really interested to know is how does that make you feel, or how does it feel today? being at that place versus even a year or two ago when you weren't at that place. I'm interested to know what that kind of emotional transformation has been like. So for me, Goose, absolutely zero emotional transformation. (laughs) I'm going to be open with you, mate. Zero emotional transformation. For my wife, absolutely 100% emotional transformation. She doesn't need to go back to work. The house is paid off. I can't use the mortgage as an excuse of why she needs to work. Um, but, but no, mate, it, it definitely, I, I have to be open and honest. There was definitely zero emotional transformation. And why I say that for is that I looked at my house virtually being paid off already prior to selling those properties mm. because I had a substantial amount of equity being built up even after CGT tax taken into consideration, which was equivalent to many times more than my personal home loan was. So yeah. really in my mind, my house was paid off at any one point of time, sell a portion of the property portfolio, yeah. pay down the home. But again, it was just that emotional um, goal and objective that I set out to create many, well, created many years ago yeah. to have that title in our hand, which, which we achieved. Do you remember the moment in your personal wealth journey that you crossed that threshold? Because you're, you're right, it's really interesting because you crossed that threshold um, before it's actually a reality. So I remember personally um, crossing that threshold not not that long ago uh, where I suddenly went, oh, hang on a second. If we wanted to, we could sell all of the stuff that we've, all of the assets, you know, business properties, whatever, and, you know, and invest and whatever, and we'll just never have to work again. Um, so, and that was like a, oh, shit. Okay. Well, mm. we're here. Now what? Now what? <laughs> uh, and that was a really, for me, I remember that being a bit of an eye. Do you remember passing that threshold where you went, okay, well, I might not have actually paid off the home and achieved that goal, but come on, like it's all there. Yeah, look, I, I do. And I do. And for me, I, I always set out as well. I always talked about liberation. Yeah. Um, and my liberating feeling was coming into work because I want to, not because I yeah. have to. Yeah. And and that happened for me many years ago. And yes, you know, I, I, I would be in a position, I could sell everything. You know, I've got built up a bit of nous in terms of investing. I know I could achieve a very strong income to be quite comfortable the rest of my life. But, you know, I'm building a, a very successful brand. Um, you know, mm. we offer lots of services. There's about 48 colleagues that we've got. And for me, it's a, a legacy now that I want to create for not only myself, but for my my son and and for my business partner's son, who's just joined us in our practice. And that's awesome. exciting. It's exciting to create that stuff. And and that liberation came when I knew that I didn't have to come to work anymore to pay the bills. It was, I want to come to work. I want to awesome, see my clients succeed and, and it makes me happy and it gives me a, a level of enjoyment. Yes, we get paid, no doubt about it. There's, you know, I believe if you do the work, you deserve to get remunerated yeah. for the time and effort you put in. Um, but it's not because I have to, it's because I really want to. And, and it really translates with the work that we provide to our clients and, and the services we provide as well. 
Yeah, that's awesome. That probably explains why you're probably the happiest accountant that I've ever met as well because you've got that right mindset, right? That's it. Um, awesome. So I was going to actually ask, I was going to, that was kind of going to be one of my questions, but you kind of touched on it there, but I'll ask it anyway just to get a bit more clarity around it. Now that you've hit that kind of goal, that early stage goal, what does success look like to you now? Um, six, well, definitely, I'm partnering up with lots of, lots of people. So, you know, my recent developments that I've been doing, I've always been a, a fan of doing things on your own. Don't bring people into it. Mm. You make things difficult. You make things complicated. But, you know, a lot of clients who have become friends and almost like family <laughs> now, you know, I'm, I'm getting involved in developments with them. And now that's where I see my transition. Um, you know, I'm getting and, and educating people while they're making lots of money and I'm along the, uh, for the ride with them and the journey with them. So I've got, you know, a, a big development that we've got going on down in the south coast of Batemans Bay, another one in the south coast near Wollongong. We've got another one up north as well. And, you know, I'm doing it with clients and we're having a whole bunch of fun doing it. And, um, and yeah, that's, that's probably what I see is my transition moving forward. What, so what's the goal though? Like that's fun and that's awesome. But like what's the kind of like what's aside from like doing developments and having a good time, like what's, yeah. the, what's pulling you forward? What's it's, your it's, why? Seeing other people succeeding, mm, you know, I'm I'm seeing a lot of success at the same time. There's no doubt about it, but seeing other people succeeding to me is important. Like the development that we're finishing off in Warila, um, you know, I'll be obtaining mine and keeping mine. But my my very dear friend has the opportunity to sell and pay off his home loan. Yeah, it's awesome. You know, it's and that's yeah. with no additional income from himself, purely from the the profit from the development. So that's something that I get to say. You know, I was a part of that. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's an interesting thing you said there, um, helping other people and, you know, sure you're making, you know, you're earning and having a good time and earning, getting benefit from along the way. It's the only important thing to remember because it's not a zero sum game. It's not like if you want to help people, therefore you have to like be a monk and donate and all of that kind of stuff. Like you can participate in the, in all of the, all of the action as well and still be helping other people. So that's great. So, all right, so let's let's take on a slightly different tangent because you've helped. How many property investors do you reckon you've helped over the last so fifteen got, years? We've got about four and a half thousand client groups. Um, now I'm going to throw a number at you, which is I haven't checked this on our system for a while, but last time I did check, in my four and a half thousand client groups, they own collectively over nine thousand seven hundred properties. Crikey! Right. So my my firm reconciles over nine thousand seven hundred properties per year in various different entities for the clients that we manage. That's so, awesome. Yeah. If you had to put a number to it, it's in the billions and billions of dollars worth of value. Mate, that's so cool. That's awesome. Okay. So you you're gonna be an authority on this kind of next question then. Where do you see where do you see a lot of um, property investors making mistakes? Because you've obviously been able to, without digging into the specifics of your portfolio, we don't need to do that. But you've obviously been able to build a decent portfolio. You sold seven properties last year, so you've been able to kind of crack that 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 kind of like how to get build a scalable property portfolio. So I'm interested to understand like where do you see some of the mistakes people make? Um, look, definitely, it, there's there's always an element of greed, which I've seen people where they start to fall. Mm. Uh, the people that go the you know just the one or two properties per year or one property per year that that success always provides them, you know, what they want to achieve in the long term, no doubt about it, those early successes. But where I start to see people lose is when they get a taste of quick money, mm. very quick money. And I'm talking about buying properties off the plan or units off the plan, for instance, one, two, three, four. Jeremy, I bought it for 400000 I know by the time that it registers and settles, it's going to be worth six i I'll do a simultaneous settlement. I'll make $1 million straight away. 
Now, it works really well in a very heated environment, but 2018 came along, pre-election, and lots of people, you know, had signed contracts in 2016 for these units um, or off-the-plan houses, and all of a sudden in 2018, they couldn't get the finance, Royal Commission, and the properties dropped substantially in value. And believe it or not, I saw a lot of people do it. Mm. It wasn't just one or two. Lots of people were doing it. And there was nothing else other than greed. They could never afford to buy those properties. They never had the borrowing to buy those properties. They simply signed a contract thinking that at the time that registration or settlement came through, they could sell it, do a simultaneous settlement, make a million dollars for putting absolutely very little down. Mm. So property investment's not supposed to be like that. (laughs) Property investment is supposed to be you're buying, you see what you buy, you're buying bricks and mortar, you're accumulating a portfolio over a certain amount of years. But the day that you try to, you know, you try to go eight properties, sign contracts, can't get finances, have Mm. no idea what's happening in the future. That's when you're taking a very simple method of investment and turn it into a very complicated greedy investment strategy. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. We've developed a pretty good method to be able to identify right property, right place, right time. So you can get pretty fast gains. Like if you're talking like lots of growth, good yields, like you can move pretty quickly. But the thesis is not get rich quick and buy and sell and do all that kind of stuff. The thesis is buy properties, hold them for a period of time, build a sustainable mm-hmm. portfolio. It's going to be scalable, cash flow, all of these kind of good things, right? And it should be boring. Like, the thing is, That's like it. property property investing should be should be boring, right? It's not supposed to be a. It's not supposed to be an active sport. Business is an active sport. If you want to be in an active sport, like great, go start go start a business or something like that. Property investing is not supposed to be like that. It's very yeah. interesting as well that you said 2018 because. Um, we actually, so my property journey started in 2018. Um, I was working 100 hour weeks in a previous business, but you know, where I didn't understand the numbers. And if the cash was in the bank, I thought it was good. You know, I had no idea. But I was working unsurprisingly because right, I didn't understand the language of business. I was working 100 hour weeks. I basically broke, uh, had nothing to show for it, going nowhere. And like me and my partner were like, all right, you know, let's, let's, oh, I know how we're going to do this. We're going we're gonna to achieve financial freedom. Let's go buy an investment property, right? That's, we had no idea what we we're doing. We bought an off the plan apartment in 2019. Uh, and and uh, sorry, 2018, and basically we bought it pretty much as the market started to nosedive. So I knew within a week we'd made a bad decision. <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, I guess that's not how this is supposed to work. So yeah, we actually we actually offloaded that for a small loss, but we managed to managed to get rid of it and move on. But it was a good lesson, that's for yeah. sure. That's for no, sure. beautiful. And and look, the other thing I'd see quite openly goose and and it's always a struggle because i'm i'm a big fan of buying properties with an x factor a twist mm. there's always got to be that you know rental uplift or equitable uplift either through renovation or subdivision or something like that but i do see some clients get too carried away with buying development development properties and large yeah. development properties you know they oh jeremy i can put 10 townhouses on it i bought it for 1.5 mil and the rent's 400 a week the house is dilapidated. It needs a lot of work, which is throwing good money after bad, essentially. Mm. Now, the problem is, is that when you're doing it, when you're buying a development property, the idea is not to sit on it for sometimes 30 years because zoning changes, things change all the time. DCP changes, council changes, you know, their environmental direction all of a sudden, what you thought you could do, you can't. Mm. So a lot of people will hold and buy these big development properties and then not being able to get the finance to actually do the development. Yeah. And uh, or not understanding that the significant capital outlay to get it to a DA, um, they just didn't have that feasibility being set up. So, you know, I always try to encourage people when you are buying these larger development properties, firstly, understand what are all the costs involved. 
And then secondly, ensure that you can actually do the development. And that's not from a building perspective. That's from a finance perspective. Yeah. You know, if your cap is 1.4 million, you've gone and bought a $1.4 million development property. It's going to be very hard to spend another two or three mil yeah, yeah. To, to build it. And that's where the value, that's where the money is, not necessarily sometimes just holding the property. You yeah. Sometimes you've got to get in and out quickly and, um, you know, and, and buy and build and, and maybe retain a couple if you can. I always think that's a, a positive. Anyone, especially builders in my client base, always try to encourage them. Don't just go build three townhouses and sell all three. Build three, sell two, keep one. Mm. You know, and that's a way that you can accumulate a, a larger portfolio over time. Yeah. It's interesting because I don't disagree with you. Certainly adding value and, and doing all that kind of stuff. There's a lot of money to be made there. But I, I, would, I would just... So I've seen a lot of people go wrong in their portfolio by trying to think about that too early. Like buy the first property they buy, they buy something that to subdivide and then yeah, don't have the capital to do it, can't get the borrowing to do it, don't know what they're doing, stuff it up, make mistakes, lose money. And it can completely, you know, I've seen people buy one property and then get stuck for another five years because yeah. they actually can't move. Whereas if they just bought different properties, they would be able to buy more and they'd be able to move forward and they'd be in a better position. Absolutely derails their whole journey. Um, totally. Trying to go too big too quickly. But I also think that there's like, there's a piece in there as well that like most property, like the biggest cohort of property investors haven't even got a property. They're just kind of like trying to get started, thinking about getting started. They're just in their wings. Second biggest have got one property. Third biggest have got two properties, right? Most people on that journey haven't yet developed the the risk profile or the knowledge base or the all of these other things that you kind of need to be able to de-risk it because it's a, it's a capital risk decision, right? If you go, oh, you can make money in, in development, but you don't really know what you're doing. You haven't got any runs on the board. You haven't, you don't understand it. You can, the risk of you making a mistake is really, really high, yeah, right? Versus if you've got a couple of runs on the board, you've got three or four properties in your portfolio, you've sort of You've felt through the process and now you've you've got that capital base. Right? You've kind of built a foundation and then you can go, okay, well, which way do I want to go? Do I want to go easy? Do I want to do something a little more active? Do I want to go fast? Do I want to go slow? Then you can kind of make those decisions. But I think people trying to make those decisions too early. And to be honest, most of our clients, there's usually some kind of value add component in the properties that we're buying for all of our clients. Mm. I actually don't know any of our clients who've actually done any of them, right? So we've bought properties that you can subdivide, but nobody's, everyone's just, happy with the house you know so it's actually a I, it's an x factor that you're creating which is yeah cool. yeah yeah yeah. it's a bonus but it's, it's a bonus right but it shouldn't be yeah, anyway so yeah it's not it, it's not the fundamental point not of the reason to buy bought, it exactly yeah, yeah. right not the fundamental point of why you bought that property exactly that's the x factor attached to it and you know what who doesn't love the toy in the neutral box when they used to be yeah, yeah, yeah yeah but you don't buy the neutral for the toy it's yeah it's, that, that's exactly the way i think about it too it's like you should buy you should focus but the on a buy and hold strategy, the, the biggest value creation that you can do is buying the right property in the right place at the right time, specifically those things. If it also is able to be subdivided or you can put a granny flat on it or you can do it, then that's like, that's like, that's cream. That's the cherry, right? But the, the fundamentally start by buying the right property in the right place at the right time. And that's going to give you the, the biggest gains early on. So now that's awesome. I think yeah, it's could, good. Could, couldn't agree more, Goose. Couldn't agree more. So, mate, what are some of the biggest lessons that you have personally learned in in because uh, you all right? So, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna reframe this a little bit. You and I have already talked offline previously about the the value of making sure that you've got good cash flow in your portfolio and all of that kind of stuff. So, what do you want to kind of talk to that for a second? Are there any other kind of secrets to being able to build a, a scalable property portfolio? 
Yeah, I think understanding understanding two things, the metrics. Number one, the banks are our biggest creditors. They're also our biggest partners in building up a successful property portfolio. I haven't done this with cash. <laughs> I've done this with a hell of a lot of, of lending from the bank. So I really understood firstly how the banks work, understood how they work from a, a debt to income ratio point of view, from a borrowing capacity point of view, from a living cost point of view. I understood from a structure point of view. So I really understood which banks' policies were more favourable to property investors where where properties were in a trust versus in your own name. So that's what allowed me to, I suppose, break the code a little bit. And uh, when I started to invest, I really wanted to invest in the right structure. So moving forward, I knew that banking wouldn't be or finance wouldn't be my major issue. Mm. Uh, so that's that's importantly. Then second was always to do with a property that could meet its repayments, always. Um, you know, I never bought properties with circa four and a half percent below yields because I knew by the time you looked into, you know, other costs, maybe like strata, council provision for repairs and maintenance, water, property management fees, insurance, all of a sudden your four percent gross yield may go down to about a two percent net yield. Mm. Um, so I always focused on as much as I could net yield as opposed to gross yield because I remember seeing clients many, many, many years ago in Cairns buying apartments for $60,000, um, 18% gross yields. On paper, fantastic. On yeah. paper, fantastic. Strata, $8,000 a year. Council rates, $4,500 a year. Insurance was about two and a half grand a year. So by the time they worked out what their real net yield was, it was actually going to cost them money to hold the property, even if it was paid off. These were showing like net yields of negative one and 2%. Yeah. So fundamentally, purely focused on capital growth. So I, I made sure that but I always- in an apartment in apartment in Cairns probably is not going to be a great capital growth asset, though, right? Probably so. not. <laughs> Compared to you know, I'd, I'd oh, yeah. copper negative one or two percent yield for Bondi, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. or Coogee or Maroubra, but Cairns probably not. So I, I always made sure that the properties that I purchased had a strong yield mm. or potential for a strong yield because that would enable me to hold during any period of time, whether interest rates are down, up. I wouldn't be too focused on capital growth. While capital growth is important for our portfolio, it's something that you can't eat from if you decide to keep the properties in the longer term. So I always made sure that I, I had properties which would provide or had the ability to provide strong cash flow in the future. Mm. Asset selection now is the most fundamental point moving forward in the next five years. Interest rates are at a point now where they're in, in, you know, inverted. They've only got up to go. And properties which are, you know, negative yielding or negative cash flow today are only going to get worse. So the importance of asset selection and passive income right now, positive geared properties, is going to be, you know, sometimes the real amount of success that you'll get in the next couple of years as things change. Yeah, it's yeah, it's an interesting. You touched on a couple of points there. So asset selection being critical. I'm a big believer that there's no such thing as a bad asset. There's only bad asset selection because what you need for your portfolio is the thing that's going to matter most. And so getting that piece right is critical. But also the kind of cash flow and growth kind of equation there as well, because you kind of pointed out some really interesting stuff hidden in there, is that if you go just for cash flow, right? If you go just for cash flow and you, I don't know, you could buy in, you know, middle of Northern Territory somewhere and get a whatever stupid high 20% yield or something or whatever, that's pro that might not actually be a good move. That's probably not going to move you forward and where you want to go. But also just going for growth, I don't know, buying a property in Bondi, for example, um, where there's like it's negative cash and stuff like that, that's also not going to be a good strategy. So finding straddling that line in, in asset selection where you're going to get 
the opportunity to have a property which is going to be wash its own face, cover all its own costs and expenses, take care of itself, sit there, do its thing that you don't have to stress about. It's going to be able to weather the storm. And also something that is also going to give you that balance of growth as well so you can build your portfolio. And Correct. Something else. That's kind of where the, where the balance lies. So Some people I see, Goose, they go too far on, you know, it's all about cash flow and they say, oh, you know, it's giving me two grand cash flow a year. And I say to them, but, but is, it, is it really changing your life? Yeah. And they said, you know, probably not. So I said, look, guys, maybe sometimes it's not the two grand cash flow you're after, but if you can find a property where it is just taking care of its own costs, mm-hmm. not necessarily providing your cash flow, but there is room for good capital growth, you're getting the benefit of the both worlds. You're getting a portfolio costing nothing, which is what we want, and you're getting, you know, potential for capital growth to lead into other properties. So totally. Yeah, and, and and that will change and shift as your age changes. You know, I've got clients now in their fifties, and they're selling down um, a lot of their high high growth properties, which are yielding now two percent because prices have gone up substantially, mm. and they're putting that money into far better yielding assets because for them now it's all about cash flow. That's what's going to feed them. They've mm. made their capital growth, and now they want to attain their hundred to hundred fifty thousand dollars a year income. Um, safely, of course, as much as they yeah. can. Uh, so they're looking at well, where are, where is their money invested? Not returning the best return at the moment. Do, do you see? Do you see portfolios going in phases? Then, like so, like 100%. in in the early phase, it's about you know I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'll tell you how I see it, and I'd love to get your opinion on it. So the way that I see it is in the early stage when you're building your foundation, you need to buy properties which. The primary driver is growth, but you need to buy properties which also are cash flow neutral to cash flow. But you need them to wash their own face. So we're typically talking five percent or higher in yields, but but trying to buy properties which are also going to give you good growth, so you can build up the capital base. And then once you've done that, once you've built up that capital base, then it goes into a different phase, which which generally the way I see it is where you would need to focus more on cash flow because you need to increase the liquidity in your portfolio, or you're moving to an income replacement type strategy. And so broadly speaking, it's broken into those two categories. Then the way I would see it after that is there's a third category. So I call the base foundation, second stage acceleration, and the third stage legacy. The third stage would be where, okay, well, now you've got the capital base and you've got the cash flow. Now you can afford to go and do some other stuff. And that might be where you start looking at developments and other kind of more active activities. Mm. How, do you, how do you see it? Are you, are you aligned with that or what are your 100% thoughts? 100% aligned with it. 100% aligned. And I looked at my own portfolio, it's very much the same. Mm. I, you know, I didn't start to develop a property until eight or nine years into my uh, investment journey. Yeah, interesting. So I, I built up my base. I built up my base. I had some good cash flow, but also had properties which, you know, you said wash their own face. Mm. Um, then I, you know, started to look at the income generation of the properties where I had that X factor. Yeah. So I started to build duplexes. I started to build granny flats. I started to develop them. Um, got to a point where the property now is in, you know, property portfolios, a very strong cash flow. Um, I've probably got to what you call the legacy stage a little bit earlier, mm-hmm. um, where now I'm really starting to to you know take a little bit more of a risk because I've got the cash flow to back me behind me. Yeah. Um, to go into much larger developments and subdivisions, and that's exciting to me. That's my next stage. Awesome. But yeah, many of my clients uh, would be doing that. Some probably not so much on the legacy, more so they would be saying, well, our legacy is what we'll leave to our children. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, but we want to have a really good time, you know, in the interim while we get there. Um, and whatever we give them at the end is going to be quite substantial anyway. So that's their form of legacy. Yeah. Uh, but generally speaking, you know, a lot of my clients probably aged in their mid 40s to 50s when they've really said, I've had enough with work. I want to take a backward step, maybe work less or start their own businesses. That's where I start to see them really chasing returns and yields. Mm. Um, 
from the capital growth that they've built up in their portfolios. I've got one client just recently in the northwest of Sydney, beautiful area in the northwestern Sydney. Uh, the rent's only about $700 a week and the property's worth four mil. Yeah. There's no loan on it and they know that $4 million in you know, two or three other assets is going to present them probably a two and a half to $3,000 a week uh, yield. Yeah. compared to the $700 they're getting. So no brainer. They bought the property for only about seven, 800,000 many years ago. It's worth four mil. The rent really hasn't changed substantially. The, whole, the house is quite old. So for them, you know, it's an easy decision that they've sold and they've put that money into three absolute cracking uh, properties, one commercial, two residential, and the rent's about three grand a week. Awesome. So that's their retirement now virtually just set up much better than what a passive income that they would be generating from their super stream. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting as well, just kind of circling back a little bit. I know someone who chased a pure cash flow uh, strategy and she was really successful at it, right? But she, I think she ended up owning 260 properties, I think it was, mm. um, which was great. And they were all like super cheap properties in super regional areas. Totally successful. She had all the cash flow and all that kind of stuff. But I always thought like, 260 properties. It sounds like a sounds. I don't know if that's like achieving that kind of freedom goal, like where you want your time back as well. There's like a there's a lot in that. Like there's a that's a pretty active strategy. And I'm like, kind of like she exchanged her job for a different job, I guess. But she was stoked and I, she, she did great and yeah, awesome. Um, but yes, yeah, you kind of got to be really clear on what it is you want. Yeah. Like, what do you and actually want out of it? You know? And that's look, I, people. My goal was never to have 150 properties, and I made mm. that very clear to everybody. Why? Because that's 150 roofs that need to be fixed at one stage, 150 kitchens that need to be renovated. Yeah. You know? and, and there's a lot of contingency when you're carrying a portfolio that large especially when you're just achieving a 5 or 6% return. So for me, it was about good returns, but good quality properties, asset selection. Mm. And I'd much rather have 10 properties to the value of 1 million each mm. than 30 properties to the value of, say, 300 each. Mm. Why? Because the roof on that $1 million property costs pretty much the same as the roof on that $300,000 property, mm. but the rent's substantially more. So, you know, there's always, there, there is a lot of, positives as well for having a lot of properties. You know, you've got diversification, you've got obviously uh, risk minimization as well, because, you know, what's the chances of having all 260 properties unrented compared to what's the chances of having all 10 properties unrented? So th there is mm. pros and cons for both sides and there's no one answer. It's what you really want. Mm. Uh, but at the same time, a balance is important as well. Yep. You know, I wouldn't be running out there to go buy 25 broken hill uh, one bedroom units for $15,000. Um, as opposed to say buying, you know, a, a good Western suburbs or, you know, Southwestern suburbs of Queensland, Brisbane, uh, Sydney, Melbourne property. Yeah. 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 Totally. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a good point though. Like it really depends on where you're at, where your portfolio is at, what your goals are and how much you understand the risk and because risk doesn't just come from like market risk, like is the property going to go up or down? It's also capital allocation risk as well and opportunity risk and there's all of these other factors too. Um, I'm interested to get your take on this question. So by my reckoning, less than 1% of property investors actually achieve their their financial freedom goals. And that's that's by a factor that 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 most of them don't get enough properties for that to be a reality. They just don't. Mm -hmm. Like they don't get they don't get past two through it. So, what do, what do you think? And you've obviously you know achieved some pretty big goals yourself. And you obviously you've got you know plenty of clients, nine thousand seven hundred properties on the potentially on the books and all, all, all that kind of stuff. 
What do you see are the, are the common attributes or characteristics of the people that find success in this kind of thing? Consistency. Consistency. Consistency in buying have is for me, um, it's been my success. It's been a lot of my other successful clients' um, key attribute, consistency. And what that? what's that? Well, you know, they're not taking a one or two years off work. They're not going on a hiatus, spending time on holidays, chasing men or women, for instance. You know, they've, they've got their eye on the ball the whole way throughout the process. You know, if their mm. plan is one property per year, they'll buy that one property per year. Um, you know, if it's November and they still haven't bought anything, I know that they're rushing around to try to find a really good asset to buy to, to tick off on their goal list. So consistency has always been key. Um, and fundamental understanding and learning. I always tell people I get paid to learn every day. Mm. I'm learning where my clients are buying properties. I'm learning why they're buying that property. I'm learning positive things they're doing. I'm also learning the negative things that they're doing. So I'm a student to this journey. I'm a yeah. student to investment properties, a student to investment in general. And, uh, you know, probably the only people that can say they're a bit more of a teacher are probably the Charlie Mungers and, and Warren Buffetts of the world. The rest of us, we're students and we'll be students for a very long time until, you know, we're in our 80s with plenty of grey hair. and We've seen many different cycles in the world many times. Um, so they're probably the two main key attributes, continuing to be a student of, of investment and consistency. The negatives and people need to understand the negatives. What are the pitfalls and why people do stop? Yes, you know, life changes, children, uh, divorce is something that I've seen, which, you know, generally impacts um, someone's mentality around property investment in the future because it's exciting to get up to eight to nine, 10 properties. Divorce comes in all of a sudden, you know, it, it goes. And it's yeah. so hard to get back on the horse and ride it again after you've just, you know, had a really bad fall. So I, I think the main thing, if people can take out of what are the key attributes, is being a student to the field and consistency. Like anything, like any athlete, it's consistency and always being a student, continuing to wanting to learn and and become better. Awesome, yeah, I, lo- I love that. Yeah, yeah, I think I think yeah, I think setting a good cadence for your portfolio and like for life and goals, just generally, you know, you've got to you've got to take a longer view. You've got to you got to work hard and commit and do everything. Like you're also got to take a. I think consistency is a really good message. Like I think just having that, setting the locomotive in motion, mm-hmm. where it's gonna just you're just gonna keep firing, you know, as you go. I think I think that's awesome. Um, one of the things I was going to ask you um, was, you're a very goal oriented person yourself, right? You talked about the people who have goals. What do you have any habits or rituals, or how do you stay how do you stay aligned with your goals? Do you like do an annual planning session for your personal life goals? Do you Tell me how. Tell me a little bit about that. How do you stay well, on track? I've got three people. So when, when you run your own business, you tend to not be accountable to anyone because you know you're at. Say for instance, you're at the top, and you might have managers and colleagues and senior staff members, but you know the accountability stops with you. So then, who do you become accountable to? So for me, what I do is is I will sit down with my you know three mentors. One is a a gentleman who is a financial planner and I just use him to absolutely tear shreds out of me and everything that I do because I need that sometimes, someone to tell me I'm wrong. Uh, my father and my business partner, they're the three people that you know I share every year with what I'm planning to do and I get their feedback. But at the same time, I'm accountable to them. Mm. And you know, I will share with them things that I'm doing. I'll say, guys, I've hit that, I've hit that, I've hit that. I'm thinking of doing these next two. What are your thoughts? So they keep me accountable. 
they keep me accountable throughout the whole process. And I always tell people accountability is key to success as well. Because if you're not accountable to your actions, not accountable to your goals, because you're at the very top, then chances are you'll you'll push them down the pile because there's always other things to do. Yeah, totally. Um, so that's probably that's probably been my um, part of my goals and objectives, part of my my plan in the future and, and in the in the past. It's always been accountable to to the people that I look up to and, and treat as mentors. Awesome, awesome. Um, Final question, what advice would you give to someone who's just thinking about starting their property investing journey? Properties have been bought and sold in Australia for, you know, three, four hundred years, really collectively data, uh, sorry, collected data for probably the last couple hundred years, so mm. if not longer. So my, my advice to people is that properties will be around for the next four or five hundred years. Um, so when you start, wherever you start, no, no matter what the conditions are, and people saying interest rates are going to go up or the market's going to collapse, you, you know, there's other things going wrong. You know, it, it's all just minor dips in a line which continues to go upwards on the graph. You know, so if anyone ever does have a, a look at how properties have performed over the last hundred years, there's dips, no doubt about it. Mm. Prices which were similar to the price of ten years ago or longer. But if you continue to look along that graph, you'll see that prices always increment upwards. Yeah. So my biggest advice to anybody is no matter what's happening in the market, block out the noise. Um, asset selection is key. There's always going to be good properties to buy in any market, whether it's upwards or downwards. It's to really strategize with the right people, the right professionals in your team, brokers, financiers, accountants, buyers, agents, et cetera, financial planners and get an action plan going and make it happen. Awesome. Because, yeah, no one's going to buy a property for you, mate, unfortunately, not unless you win the lotto, but even then you still got to get out there and find the property and sign the contract and settle it. So make it happen. That's the biggest things that I tell people is, yeah, okay, you've spoken to me 30 times about what you're going to buy. Come back to me with it. Made it happen. Make it happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nice. I love it. Take action. No, that's good. Awesome, man. Sweet. Well, Jeremy, it's been awesome to have you on the show. I really appreciate it. It's been great. I've actually enjoyed the banter and some really, really good insights in there. So, thank you very, very much. Um, I'd love to get you on the show again in a in a in a few weeks' time. But mate, thanks. It's been a joy. Pleasure, Goose. Thank you, mate. Thanks, mate. Speak soon.